0: Good morning, uh, if you would, keep in mind that last line, His face forever to behold. Uh, we'll see that again this morning. If you would, would you please turn in your Bibles to numbers, numbers at the very beginning of the Bible, chapter 6 verses 22 to 27. I'm take a little break from our Luke series this week as Bill's out of town preaching elsewhere this morning. And so I am scheduled to preach five times in the next four months. And so what I decided to do along with Bill is do a little spread out mini series. And so I've decided to go to the book of Numbers, one of the places where Bible reading plans go to die. And so Numbers, Numbers is probably one of the worst titled books in the whole Bible, unless you're an accountant. But the Hebrew name of this book is much cooler The Hebrew name of this book is In the Wilderness because it talks about the Israelites as they were in the wilderness after the exodus of Egypt and before they reached the promised land. And so it's set in these 40 years where Israel is wandering the desert. And so spread out, I know that you will probably all remember this when I preach again in a month. We're going to look at the book of Numbers, kind of some greatest hits throughout Numbers. And so, our passage this morning is a familiar one to you. If you've been to our church before, we say this as our benediction just about every single week. And so, if you would just read along with me from Numbers chapter 6, verses 22 to 27. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, thus you shall bless the people of Israel. And you shall say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. is the reading of God's word this morning. If you would join me in prayer as we seek his help to understand it. Father, we are a people who are truly blessed, and You're a God who delights in blessing His people. Father, we are a sinful people, and we betray You. We are unfaithful to You, and yet You are ever faithful to us, and You bless us anyway. Father, as we look into this text, we ask that You would illumine our hearts this morning, that You would open our eyes and our ears to learn. Father, help us to see You. Help us to see Your Son, Jesus. We pray this in the name of him. Amen. Well, if you ever see me during the week, whether it's in my office or on the road or out at a coffee shop, I'm always listening to music. Even when I was writing the sermon, I had some smooth bossa nova jazz going on. And so probably for the last year, I've been listening to a band over and over again. They've probably become my favorite music group in this past year. But they only have one album, and they've got a couple of EPs, but they don't have this big discography. But nevertheless, I've kind of devoured their music over the last year. I listen to them every single week. And one reason that draws me to this band is they kind of, they're just two guys. They play acoustic guitars. It's kind of my thing. But they didn't really set out to make it in the music industry. They just started jamming, and then they recorded some songs, released them on the internet for free, and people just devoured it up. In fact, they didn't even play their first concert until they had over a million downloads on SoundCloud. And so the band's name is Hollow Coves, and there's an interview, and they were asked, why do they think so many people have latched on to their music? And they were talking about it, and they said, I really don't know, I don't know why people have latched on to our music. And this is on YouTube, and so I was looking at some of the comments, and so one of the comments that someone wrote, said this, it said, to answer why people have latched onto your music, your music answers a deep craving for calm in the chaos of life. And so they offer something to people that are longing to hear a specific message. And so they have this song, and it's called Blessings. I like it a lot. It's a, it's a wonderful song. In the chorus, it goes like this. It says, there are blessings all around you, open up your eyes. Feel the sunlight fall upon you. Let it free your mind. There are blessings all around you. Take a step outside. And I think a song like this perfectly illustrates what this YouTube commenter said. And so it's in this world of busyness, in this world of disappointments and sickness and sadness, I think it's a universally desired thing that we would want to walk out these doors and just notice blessings all around us. That would be a great way to live our lives because we experience the opposite of that so often. And so we listen to that song and we say, I want that to be my experience, to be able to just say there's blessings all around you, I can see those very clearly. But the question remains for us is how can we have that life of blessing? How can that be mine? Where is true blessing in this life to be found? And so that's exactly what our passage is about this morning, Numbers chapter 6. And so what we read is just called a benediction. We say this every single week, a good, diction, word. So it's a good word. What this means is that it's a blessing on someone. And so this is a pronouncement of a blessing by God on his people. And so if you look at verse 23, it says, thus you shall bless the people of Israel. Verse 24 says, the Lord bless you. Verse 27, and I will bless them. So, there's a blessing being pronounced on God's people. But I think there's a lot that we can learn about this passage this morning and and, and how we can receive it from this short passage. And so, this morning, as always, I have three points. And so, I think there's three things that this passage can teach us this morning. And so, the first point is the cause of blessing. The second point is the content of this blessing And then the third point is the curse of this blessing. So we got the cause, the content, and the curse. So let's look at our first point this morning, the cause of blessing. What what do I mean by the cause of blessing? Well, what I mean is what is the source of origin of this blessing, the the point of supply? What causes blessing to happen within our lives? And so I wanna talk about two things here. We'll talk about the true source of blessing and the false source of blessing. And so right off the bat, one of the first things that we should notice about this passage is that the true source of blessing comes from God, the Father himself. And so this is a truth that's essential here. And so if you notice, it says it three times. The Lord bless you. The Lord make his face shine. The Lord lift up his countenance. And so if you aren't aware, anytime that we see the word LORD in all capital letters, what it means is that the text is using the personal divine name of God, Yahweh. And so this is saying that this blessing comes directly from Yahweh Himself. He's the source of it. And so there's a significance of why the blessing is presented like this in the three repetitions of Yahweh here. One scholar points out that grammatically speaking, there's no need to repeat God's name. You could just say all this in one sentence. God give you all these things. But yet it's repeated in order to emphasize exactly where this blessing is coming from, lest we forget it. Who the cause of the blessing is. And just in case you didn't get it in those three verses, he sums it up again in verse 27 in an emphatic way when what the Hebrew translates as, I, I myself will bless them. says it twice. If you didn't get it, God is going to be the one who blesses his people. And so there's a reason why this is repeated all throughout the passage. And it's because we have this natural bent to look within ourselves, to look within the wrong places to find blessing in our lives. I had a seminary professor that would always talk about Jeremiah chapter 2 verse 13. If you can turn there if you'd like, but you don't have to, I'm going to read it real quick. But in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, this is what he says. This is God speaking. He says, my people have committed two evils. So God says they've committed two evils. Here's the two evils. One, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. And then two, and they've hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Those are the two evils that my people have committed. They've abandoned me, they've forsaken me, and then they've tried to make their own cisterns of water but they're broken. So, instead of going to the God who Ephesians 1-3 says that every blessing comes from, they tried to manufacture their own blessings. They they tried to produce their own blessings in their own lives. Uh, There's an English pastor named John Gill. In the 1700s, he pastored a church in London. It was actually the same church that Charles Spurgeon would pastor about 100 years later. But this is what he says. He says, it is egregious folly to leave a fountain for a cistern, and especially a broken one. In a fountain, the water is living and always running and ever springing up. Not so in a cistern, and in a broken cistern, there is none at all. So, if you're lost in this cistern, this metaphor of what this broken cistern is, this is what it means, okay? It means that my people have looked to other sources of comfort, happiness, provision, and blessing, and these are false sources of those things. They've looked elsewhere rather than looking at the true source of it all. And so we have that same problem. We we try to dig our own cisterns. We've looked for blessing from all sorts of false sources in our lives. And so what are our false sources? Maybe it's relationships for you. If I just had that wife or that husband or boyfriend or girlfriend or son or daughter, if I just had that relationship I'd be blessed. Uh, Maybe it's a financial ability to have certain things. If we could have everything that we wanted, you know, a great home, good vehicles, the latest gear from Best Buy. Maybe it's respect or status that we look for. If I could just get into this college or get that promotion, or if my kids or coworkers would just respect me, then I would feel blessed. And so what is it for you What are the false sources that we look for blessings in? If you don't know, here's how you can find out. Follow your strong emotions. What do you get angry about? What do you despair over? What do you dream about or feel anxious about? Answering those questions can help point us to where our idols are and our false sources of blessing. And so, for example, for me, one of my greatest fears in life is not being enough, I want to be enough. I want want everyone to know. I want to feel useful. And and I think about that TV show, Thomas the Tank Engine, where the ultimate goal of Thomas the Tank Engine is to be told, you're a really useful engine. Like, I want people to tell me that. I want people to say, you are useful, Jeremy. And so what that does is it, it reveals an idolatry about my heart. I want people to love me so what do your strong emotions reveal about your heart, the things that you feel strongly about? What does it uncover about where you look for blessing in your life? James Boyce, he says this. I feel bad because I think I quote him in every sermon I do, but... This is what James Boyce says. He says, If spiritual blessing, which is to know God, does not lie at the base of all of our blessings, including the possession of material things and of a happy life, then these other blessings are hollow and may even be a dangerous deception and snare. He goes on to say, he says, On the other hand, to know God and be favored by God is the greatest blessing that anyone can experience either in this life or afterwards. To know God And be favored by God is the greatest blessing that anyone can experience in this life. And so the first truth of this passage is that we need to remember where blessing comes from. Yahweh is the cause of our blessing. Not of my own doing, not of what I have done, not what I've tried to manufacture for myself, but it all comes from Yahweh, the cause of our blessing. Let's look at our second point this morning The content of this blessing, the content. And so it's kind of an odd order that I straight structured this sermon in, but I wanted to start with God being the cause of this blessing. But we've been throwing around this word blessing this whole time. We haven't even defined it yet. And so if blessing isn't our possessions, if it's not our relationships, if it's not even our feelings of usefulness, then what is blessing? Blessing. Usually when we think of God's blessing, we might mean that God would help us with something. He might enable us to get something like a house or a job or whatever. Now, these things are not excluded in blessing because God can and he does bless in those ways. But what Boyce says of these things is, says, More desirable is that God himself would enter into a gracious personal relationship with his people. And so that's what blessing is in this passage today, is God being in a gracious and a personal relationship with his people. If you notice, even in those words from the benediction, they are all about relationship with you, that everything that he is giving to you. And so that's what blessing is here. And so we see from our passage that the content of our blessing is made up of six different things. He he lists six things, and they're in pairs of two. And so let's look at them real quick. First, we can see in verse 24, it says, the Lord bless you and keep you. What does this mean? Well, simply put, it means that he's going to provide us with what we need and protect us from danger. It's, It's like when we pray in the Lord's prayer, give us this day our daily bread and deliver us from evil. So give us what we need to sustain us for today in order to keep us coming back to you for more tomorrow. And at the same time, protect me from evil. Keep us safe. And so it's a reassuring thing that God, that Yahweh, does these things for us. He keeps us. He protects us. And so the blessing, though, it goes deeper than these things. You can see in verse 25 secondly he says the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you and so we get some really interesting imagery here think about that the Lord make his face to shine upon you and so in this blessing is there is involved a face-to-face relationship with the Lord This blessing is knowing God face to face, and it shows that when God, the God of the universe looks at you, his face shines. Have you ever seen someone's face shine before? A couple weeks ago, I was at my parents' house for my nephew's second birthday, and he was in the living room ignoring all his toys, but playing with a couple of deflated balloons. And he was having the time of his life hitting these balloons up. He was giggling and he was laughing and he was smiling. And I took a picture of him while he was doing this and his face was just beaming with so much excitement, so much happiness, so much delight in being able to hit that balloon off the ground. And so that's how God looks at his people, with delight. His face shines on them. Ian Duguid, who's shown me many things about this passage, this is what he says. He says, this is the heart of blessing, to have the Lord delight in us so much that as if its face is shining whenever he sees us. That's how much God delights in us, that when he looks at you, his face shines. And I feel like more often than not, our, we think that God's default mode is just to tolerate us, right? That, that, that he's just, he just puts up with me. And yet he takes delight and pleasure. Read one more thing from Ian Duguid. This is what he says. He says, this is what every child longs for from his or her father. Children want above all things to know that their father delights in them. They need to know that they are important to their father, that their father lights up whenever they walk into the room. Some of us never got that from our earthly fathers. We wanted so desperately to know what we mattered to them, but we never felt it. We never felt their faces shine when they turned toward us, but God wants you to feel his blessing today. He wants you to feel his pleasure, to feel that his face shines when he looks on you. Christian, God's face is on you in grace and peace, and he wants you to feel this. A delight. It's not just tolerance. He takes pleasure in you. Third thing we see is in verse 26, it says, the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So we get the strange word countenance that we don't use in our everyday life, but what it means, it just means face again. The Lord lift up his face and it's very similar to the last verse, except there's a slightly different connotation. Whereas in the last word, verse, it was referring to God's delight in you. This time when it says lift up his countenance upon you, what it means is that he's paying attention to you. He's watching you, he's seeing you. He's not absent, he's present. And so the second part of this says that he'll bring you peace. And so this isn't just the absence of war, but rather it's a a harmony. It's recognizing and receiving all of God's gifts to us. And so here's some more alliteration for you for these three points. In this blessing, God wants you to know his protection over you, his pleasure in you, and his presence with you. That's what this blessing is giving to us. His protection and His pleasure and His presence. And so here's the kicker, the most unbelievable thing about this blessing is that you did nothing to receive it. There was no merit, there was no checklist that you could fill out in order to receive this blessing. You weren't owed it, it was a gift of grace. And so grace is receiving something that we didn't deserve, and so this blessing is one of grace. And moreover, the priests were instructed to tell their people this every single day. So they wouldn't forget it. They would tell them every single day, not once a year, not once a month, but every single day, God wanted to remind His people of His grace. So before we move on to our last point, there's one more thing I need to say here. And so if you've ever heard me preach before, I'm always hammering the context we got to know the context in which the passage is in. And so, we haven't read it this morning. But in the two previous chapters of Numbers, Numbers 5 and 6, we learn about laws for two different kinds of people. So, it gives us some laws for different kinds of people. The first person that it gives us laws for is of an unfaithful wife, an unfaithful wife. And then in chapter 6, we get laws that are for those who have taken a Nazarite vow And so I won't go into too much detail about what the Nazarite vow is, but what it is, is that someone for a period of time is especially devoted to the Lord. If you think of Samson, he was a Nazarite from Judges, that mighty man, Samson, he was a Nazarite. So the two previous chapters bring up two extreme opposites, someone who's unfaithful and someone who is completely devoted, exact polar opposites. And so I want to ask you a question, which one of these two people is Israel more like? Is Israel more like the unfaithful wife? Or is Israel more like this completely devoted Nazarite? Well, if you've read anything at all in the Old Testament, the answer is quite clear that Israel is the unfaithful wife. You know, there's that whole golden calf thing, and they often followed after other gods. They complained against Yahweh in the desert. They rebelled against them so much they had to kick them out of the promised land. They were very unfaithful to the Lord. Now what about you? Which one are you more like? Are you more like the unfaithful one or the completely devoted one? I can't speak for you, but I can speak for myself. And if I'm being honest, I am more unfaithful than I am faithful. I'm always looking for blessing in the wrong places. Uh, Ephesians 2, it tells me that God, before he brought us to himself, that we were completely dead in our sins, that there was nothing righteous in me at all, but despite this, God intervened. He stepped in with great love, and he saved me. And we just sang it just a minute ago, the Father's love for me is so deep that he would give his only son to make a wretch like me, like you, his treasure. And so while there's nothing that can snatch me out of his hands, my heart, it still wanders. It still doubts. It still looks for other sources of blessing. It complains. Kind of like Israel. And so I'm far more like the faithless wife than the Nazarite. But here's the beauty in all of this. The Lord still puts his blessing on his people. His blessing is still pronounced on them, even though they are unfaithful. His blessing is being poured out on faithless people just like me. And so it makes me think of that great hymn, Amazing Love. How can it be? How can this be that God pours out this blessing on a faithless people? That wouldn't fly in our world. And so that's the content of this blessing. Actually, let's answer this question How can it be with our last point, the curse? of a blessing. And so I'll be brief here. But the reason God is able to bless an unfaithful people like me is because he was pleased to send his son Jesus in my place. So Jesus, he lived a perfect life. He kept every detail of the law better than any Nazarite ever could. And so, for all eternity past, Jesus existed with the Father's face shining on him always. The Father always being delighted in Jesus. So he sends Jesus to this earth, and when he's baptized, what he says, this is my son who I'm well pleased. I'm well pleased in my son. Later on the mountain transfiguration, God says again, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. The Father's face was shining on Jesus forever. And yet, despite all of this, the very people that Jesus came to save, they turned on him. His friends abandoned him. He was arrested. He was tried. He was found innocent. And he was still sentenced anyway. And the punishment was death by crucifixion. And so by our nature of sin, we deserve death. We deserve separation from God. It was us who abandoned God. But when Jesus went to the cross, he went not bearing his own punishment, but he went bearing our punishment. Our sins, our wanderings, our disobedience, our faithlessness, those are the very things that nailed Jesus to the cross. And with his death, our sins were atoned for. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake, mine, yours, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. First Peter 2.24 says, He himself bore our sins on his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. There's a purpose in his death, but in order for us to be able to receive this blessing here in number six, Jesus had to be cursed. He had to bear the curse. In fact, on the cross, Jesus had to undergo the exact opposite of all of these blessings in number six. Instead of the Father blessing and keeping Jesus, Jesus was handed over to those who wanted to kill him. Instead of his face shining on Jesus, the Father turned his face away to the point where Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He felt abandoned. Instead of the Father's countenance being on him, he was completely alone, so much so that the sun didn't even shine on him. Instead of peace, there was anything but peace for Jesus on the cross. As Duguid says, he was bruised for our iniquity, he was broken for our sin, he was abandoned for our faithlessness, and he was cursed for our blessing. Now keep in mind, this was always God's plan. In order to redeem his people that although he gave jesus over and as he bore the full weight of sin the father sustained jesus through it as one of the seminary professors says he says the father was never more pleased with the son and so it's through god's gracious gift through jesus work on the cross that he becomes our peace and it's in jesus that we receive god's blessing And so I'll close with this this morning. What does that mean for us today? How does this affect us as we leave and enter into our next week? If you look back at verse 27 from this passage, it says, so shall they put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. So he says, my name shall be on them. So when I read this, I immediately think of Toy Story. And every character in Toy Story, they're all toys of this fictional person named Andy. And they all have Andy's name written on their boot. And so there's a story, there's a time in Toy Story where Buzz Lightyear first comes to the group. And he explains the significance of the name being on his shoe. And this is what Buzz Lightyear says, the great theologian Buzz Lightyear. He says, it looks as though I have been accepted into your culture. Your chief, Andy, inscribed his name on me. And then Rex says, it's even with permanent ink. can't come off. It's there forever. So here's the significance of Andy's name being on their toy's foot. If Woody and the gang, if they all ever doubted Andy's love for them, all they had to do was look at their foot and they would see his name and remember that Andy loved them enough to claim them as his own. And so much in the same way, For those who have faith in Jesus, you have a name written on you as well. And it's not the name of a fictional child. It's the name of Jesus. And after he rose from the dead, he's sitting right next to the Father, interceding on your behalf to the Father, saying, that one's mine. I paid for his sins or her sins. And so now, there's nothing that can separate you from the love of Christ. Now I can know that when the Father looks at me, he's well-pleased because when he looks at me, he sees Jesus and he's able to say, this is my son or my daughter with whom I am well-pleased. So no matter what you go through in life, God's face is turned towards you and it can never be turned away. He delights in you. He feels joy and pleasure over you. So my question for you today Is have you placed your faith in this Jesus? Do you feel this blessing? Do you know that as a child of God, that his promises, that these promises, they're for you? Let's pray.